When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, this is Emil Heskey and you're listening to the guys on Coppen Fracas. The best word I can say to describe this one. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Miller, lovely cushion header. Vigero! Oh, you beauty! What a headshot! What a hit! Liverpool 3-0. Call it, take it quickly, Rigi! One way, Salah's the other. He's holding Old Trafford hat trick here, Mo Salah. And he catches the moment. Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Coppen Fracker. These are the sultry tones of your host, Fahi. Oh, yeah. How are we doing? Joining me. <laughs> Sorry, joining me. Joining me this week to discuss all things Liverpool Football Club is the usual host, Chris. Hello, Chris. How are we doing? Um, I'm, I'm even better now from that intro. I mean, I'm all pumped up. Good to go. Yeah, bro. You know what? I just plugged in my mic today. I was, I was, I was feeling it. I was like, I got the ring light on. I've got the mic on. I've not actually got the ring light on, but I've mm. got the mic. I'm, I'm just feeling myself a bit. So I'm like, you know what? Let me, let me like look like I'm spitting bars. Obviously, these guys can't hear. These guys can't see what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's why you teased yeah. the ring light there you know, for the video content for the Patreon. You know, what bro, I mean? bro, bro, the, the ring light, bro, bro. The, the three pound a month is paying for my ring light, man. So thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. But we will get onto them shortly. First, first of all, Manny, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well, man. Obviously, good to be back with you guys. It's been a little while since I've jumped on the pod, so I've been watching from afar. Uh, I've been itching to get back. So yes, we are excited, bro. A lot. I said it before on on one of the previous pods, but I really do feel like you and Ish are good luck charms because you joined the pod, and I swear this football club has just been very good since you've been yeah, on never the podcast. Yeah, hundred percent. So, um, yeah, Manny, Manny, you're going nowhere, mate. 
Uh, <laughs> you're on a death row deal. So, so all signed I'm saying up. is, if you yeah, you're signed up because if you leave, then just you're gonna you're gonna bear the consequences of your football club that you love. <laughs> I appreciate the pressure. I'll take it on board. <laughs> All good, man. All good. So, yeah, we're recording this on Tuesday, the 16th of Jan. Um, obviously, this is going to release on Wednesday. It's, it's it's a free week, so there's not been much Liverpool football to watch. Um, but but we're recording this straight after a, a brand new Premier League um, referee TV show that they do, that they release on Sky Sports and every other football network across the world. Um, so we're going to discuss that shortly. We're going to discuss just the just the season and how it's been so far, and then we're going to break up, uh, break into the Bournemouth game, which is on Sunday. Um, but before that, there are a few things that we do need to promote. So where do we begin? Patreon, of course. Patreon.com forward slash Fracker. We've had it for over three years now. Um, so many loyal subscribers. We thank each and every one of you for all that you do to help us be Cop and Fracker. Without your subscriptions, without your support, we wouldn't be recording this podcast today. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. If you are a loyal listener, but you've never been on Patreon, please check it out. Patreon.com forward slash Cop and Fracker. So much content on there to check out um there's a brand new dm podcast so not dm as in direct message dm as in defensive <laughs> midfielder um, featuring peter um ish and naomi um i feel like i'm forgetting someone else maybe julian was on it all on, i know for sure those three were definitely on it uh, maybe julian was on it or maybe marco was on it but it's a great podcast where they're just literally breaking down um defensive mid options for um the coming future or whether we need if a defensive mid based on the fact that endo has been doing quite well recently and obviously McAllister seems to be one of the main guys there so check that out if you haven't already um and yeah thank you for your support there's obviously going to be the post-match uh Bournemouth podcast which will be released on their Sunday night so so much content coming and there's so many games left based on the fact that we're in all four competitions for now, there is going to be much more content being recorded and released on there. So yeah, check it out. Another thing I want to promote, TikTok. Guys, you TikTokers, I know you TikTokers are out there. I know you're on there. Follow us, Fracker underscore. The original account got bagged because I kept promoting comps of Curtis Jones. So we... <laughs> <laughs> legit no legit story no I, I i kept i kept doing uh curtis jones compilations on tiktok yeah. and they bagged the account <laughs> so we have another account and listen it's grown so much already we've got over like five thousand followers but we want more we want all of you guys on this so if you are on tiktok follow us cop and fracker underscore check out all the stuff on there there's some brand new content being shot very very soon and it will be firstly released on TikTok. So check us out there. Other than that, the usual Twitter, X, whatever you want to call us, um, we're on there as well. And yeah, I think that's all the promotions done. We can get going with the podcast. Um, Krish, 7pm, Howard Webb, Michael Owen. They, they released that wonderful show that no one has asked for, where they, <laughs> where they spend half an hour to 45 minutes telling us what went wrong this month in the Premier League, thanks to referees. Um, what do you think of the show, Krish? 
you summed it up perfectly. You know, like when Friends went off the air, and for some reason they did a Joey show that like no one asked for or like no one really needed. It's kind of like one of those kind of scenarios, isn't it? It's like, yeah, we've got the actor under contract. So we might as well just give him something. Um, I think in theory, actually not the, the worst idea. Now, you'd probably want two people to head it up that aren't Howard Webb and Michael Owen. Michael Owen being one of the dullest personalities ever known to man, which is ironic considering he was actually quite an electric footballer in his day. And Howard Webb is just bald. Apologies to any bald people who maybe listen to the pod. Um, but yeah, it's it's embarrassing for the PGMOL considering some of the magnitude of the decisions. You know what I mean? Obviously, the Diaz one was a very a big black eye on this season, not only to Liverpool, but I think to them more than anything. Um, and I think the decision we're going to talk about, I think, you know, it's not one of those ones where you have to have to look back at it and say, in hindsight. Um, you can understand why it was a wrong decision. It was a handball at the time, and it's still a handball now. So, no, man. Uh, good good idea in concept, but I just think, it, you know, in this sport, it doesn't adhere itself well to a certain audience. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's clear as day to see what Howard Webb is trying to do, and he's trying to um, have a bit more accountability, right? Which mm. is always welcomed. Um, but <laughs> the issue is... It's the same old mistake every single month. And it's like, yeah, cool. You throw your hands up now and you're like, yeah, we got it wrong. We should have done this. But then nothing changes. Um, mm-hmm. Manny, what have you made of like this show? And what did you actually make of the example they showed from the Liverpool Arsenal game? Yeah, to be honest, it's just, it feels like kind of like Groundhog Day when it comes to these kind of kind of shows after certain decisions. Um, just like you mentioned, it feels like, it's every other week there's something big talking point and then there's some sort of apology or we got it wrong and then you just kind of carry on as usual and the same thing will happen again in a few weeks and yeah it's a bit it's it's a bit tedious to be fair in my opinion because it feels like it's just kind of going around in circles um i do as you mentioned appreciate them trying to take a bit more accountability i guess in terms of putting their hands up and making public statements and doing these kind of shows like with Howard Webb and Michael Owen, but I, I always feel that when these shows happen after listening to them, I don't feel any better from it. I feel, if anything, just a bit worse because it just kind of shows that you, you can't really trust what's what's kind of happening behind the scenes in the VAR rooms, in my opinion. And I feel like VAR are in a kind of tricky spot at the moment where they're too scared to rush decisions in terms of how they go about it, but they're also too scared to take too long. And it feels like they're taking too, they're, they're not taking long enough to analyze the big decisions, but they're taking ages to, to qualify really, really clear decisions. And it feels like they just have no clue what they're doing in, in that department. They're all sixes and sevens at the moment because of the big Lewis Diaz mistake. I feel like that really put everything under the microscope uh, and they're under a new different kind of pressure now. So yeah, it's, it's annoying, I'll be honest, but I'm kind of apathetic to it now, to be honest. I don't really see how it changes unless there's more repercussions for the mistakes, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, no, 100%. So, like, <clears throat> looking at the 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 decision itself, Chris, obviously, when you saw it, obviously, I didn't see it on TV. I was there. But you mm-hmm. saw it on TV, right? From where I was in the cop, it looked like a handball. And obviously, it was the opposite, opposite end of the pitch. <laughs> <you> could, yeah. <laughs> Literally, you can see the ball struck his arm, right? Clear as day. Um, and obviously, TV replay obviously shows that. Now, the excuse everyone was trying to give was that 
apparently he was falling over and he was trying to block his fall. So because he was blocking his fall and the ball hit his arm, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a handball. And then I was like, okay, cool. Let me go home and watch this back. I watched it back. My man didn't even fall over. Like, mm-hmm. he actually didn't fall over. Like, he didn't fall on his hands or anything. So I was like, what is this BS explanation? Krish, based off what you've just seen, I don't understand how that explanation was ever given and ever accepted in the first place. It's wild. Like, they use the... Obviously, when you listen to the audio, they go, oh, yeah, he's falling down. He's using his arms to kind of, like, cushion his fall. Not a handball for me. If that's not a handball, then what the hell is the definition of a handball? Because he leans... It's not like he, like, attempts to move his arm out of the way. His arm goes literally towards the ball. And it's just point blank and centre. So, I don't know, man. It's it's absolutely wild. But, like, in the moment... It looked like a handball. Mm. Ten minutes after a half time, it looked like a handball. Now, when we're talking about it, what three weeks later, it's still a mm. handball. Now, I do have some sympathy if you're trying to like make that decision in the heat of the moment. You know, if you're bamboozled and the pace of the game is moving so so much quicker and and, and whatnot. But I feel like in such situations like this, where it's such a blatant mistake, you just have to pause the game and just like come to the conclusion but but then again i don't actually think they would have come to the conclusion that it was a handball yeah and then there's obviously the other side of clear and obvious error and all that kind of stuff mm. like oh the ref saw it but he didn't deem it a pen and all this kind of stuff and look ultimately guys um i know obviously a lot of ops listen as well i'm really not like moaning about it that much because ultimately it was before we scored um the equalizer anyway right that yeah. that yeah, yeah, yeah exactly right. so, so obviously we, we scored afterwards and if we would have had that pen who's to say we would have scored that Salah goal and to be honest who's to say Salah would have converted the pen <laughs> like, <laughs> <it's> very, <laughs> that's a discussion in itself yeah, but boy right. exactly so all I'm saying is I'm more just complaining about the referees in general and just the shoddy decision making and the explanation every month is just boring now so we can see it on a week and week basis don't we as well I mean yeah. like Everton the FA Cup with a Calvert-Lewin um, red card there was obviously it was overturned after there's yeah. like at least two two tackles like that in the league on a weekly basis and the one in the um was it Mal Augusto in the Chelsea yeah. game against yeah. Fulham yeah identical tackle gets mm-hmm. a yellow card mm-hmm. so all yeah. we want in these situations is just consistency and that's the bare minimum that we're asking for yeah, yeah. I totally agree man yeah and like Manny like I wouldn't say, obviously, the Luis Diaz one is just a spectacular fuck-up. And yeah, that's the biggest screw job this season. But I wouldn't say in general, we're, we're, we receive the brunt of the bad decisions. I do think it's actually quite equal across the league, apart from Man mm. City, who never seem to get a bad decision. Um, yeah. All other 19 clubs um, seem to get terrible decisions. So, yeah, do, do you feel like that? Or are you a bit more biased and you're like, oh, yeah, Liverpool always get screwed? <laughs> no, honestly, I think it's I think it's balanced. I think the real disappointment of it is just, obviously, when everyone's getting their fair share of bad decisions, like, it's almost like people are accustomed to thinking that that's all of a sudden fair because everyone gets their bad decisions. But I don't really see it that way, personally. I think that it's a, it's a competence level from the officials and they kind of don't help themselves as well with the way they interpret the rules and they're always tweaking them and it seems like the referees can't really keep up with 
the interpretation that they're meant to follow. And yeah, it feels like it's just a kind of a big mess in terms of what the rules are to them and what they actually apply on the pitch. Like even as far as things like descent, like for example, I'll Bro, be, I was just going to say that to you. Yeah. It's going to be big as a big one. And I've noticed it, for example, and I, I completely agree with it. Dalo, Diego Dalo at Anfield was sent off for basically the same gesture, but he did two actions in the same gesture and he got a yellow card for each action, which is mm. probably one of the harshest red cards I've ever seen. But yeah, I literally saw Rodri, for example, cuss out the ref. And I'm, yep. I'm, I'm, yep. I don't know, I, I wasn't there, but I know what you're saying wasn't complimentary and he, and he was talking for a good while. <laughs> and I, I could have maybe counted about three or four yellows with the amount of handwaves I saw. So it's, it's just a thing where red cards, second yellows, these things, change the complete dynamic of games and I just don't think it's really fair that you in the ref PGMOL can't kind of get on top of that kind of thing because you've set this rule now at the start of the season and you're only holding it up for certain teams and then other teams will get away with it and it's, it just doesn't make, really make any sense for it to be like that like the handball one's always a big one I have more sympathy with them for handballs because I think handballs are always such a kind of grey area like there's so much interpretation some kind of feel harsh some feel don't that you can't really tell how much a player can do in that situation so it's it's, it's difficult with the handballs but I feel like they just need to get a need to re go back to the drawing board get a bit of a baseline for the interpretation examples of what you what decision you give for certain examples and situations uh, and then yeah just trying to step it back to basics I think there's just too much um, um, ambiguity at the moment yeah, I can't. Uh, this consistency thing is obviously huge, but I can't remember which game it was this weekend, either the Spurs City, um, the Spurs United game or the Newcastle City game, and it was either Bentoncourt or it was it was Bruno who kicked the ball away and they got a yellow card yeah. right, but 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 he didn't actually kick the ball away. He kicked the ball towards his player because he kicked it whilst the whistle was being blown, and the yeah. ref just gave it yellow straight away and it's like no bro like he was making an action whilst Pass. you were blowing the whistle like sometimes it does take there is like a two second delay in your brain sometimes to kind of realize what's happening like exactly. you can't just give a yellow card for him g- kicking the ball to his player it's not like he kicked it to the stands he literally exactly. kicked it to his own player so it's like that's clearly not time wasting or anything like what are you doing yeah man. that's what i don't understand with the, the the interpretation thing and i feel like when it's open to interpretation so much, it now feels like you're just banking on what ref you get on any given day and how they're feeling and how the game's kind of going because some days refs will just not have it and they'll book every kind of challenge they see. There's another game where they, they're letting everything go and you can two-fit somebody and you'll get away with it. Like, it just seems like it's a different kind of set of rules every week and I, I don't really know if that's the way to go. I think you need to kind of keep a, a level of consistency where you can. Yeah, hundred percent. So yeah, we're we're obviously going to deal with this for the rest of the season. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how many of these fuck ups end up costing us how many points for the end of the season, and what that points differential would have done for us if we weren't screwed the way we were screwed. Um, but either way, like I've said, everyone. All the other teams, apart from Manchester City, do seem to get screwed over as well. So everyone, apart from Manchester City fans, please understand that I'm supporting you and I understand <laughs> that referees screw all of us apart from Manchester City. 
um, because that does seem to be the story here. Burn, Bernie Loki needs a hold that though after a uh, whole company. We have to understand the officials make mistakes, and then he's had like, like four of them afterwards. <laughs> Listen, you know what's funny about Burnley? I feel like Burnley are suffering the consequences of Daesh and their racist fans in 2020 and 2021. Yes. I don't even think it's to do with company. I feel like this is just terrible karma based on what happened three, four years ago. You know when the EDL fans were out during COVID? Yeah, that plane. You know, yeah, and you know when like Deitch like started shouting at Klopp and shit when Klopp's um, mum passed away, but obviously he didn't realise. But all that stuff was going on. Deitch was just being a prick. Um, yeah, I just feel like all of that bad karma on Burnley is now showing up now, and yeah. Company's having to deal with it. Because <laughs> like, Company's thinking like, right, every game my team has like seventy percent possession, but we seem to lose every single week. Like, <laughs> what's going on? Something and it's the like the most minute. maddest. <laughs> Bro, maddest decisions. That looting, that looting goal. The the fucking decision was horrific. Oh, yeah, I I'm gonna really believe what's going on. How did they let that? How did they let that go in? The thing is, though, they actually disallowed a similar one with, um, was it Akanji and Allison? And I can't lie, there was less contact on the Akanji Allison one. Yes, correct, correct. Allison was like acting like a fairy. <laughs> yeah, man. So it's the consistency again, man. It's crazy. Yeah, it is mad. But yeah, but Chris, you're right. Burnley do need to hold that because of what happened in the past and um yeah it looks like they're going to be in the chat you know what the relegation battle does look kind of interesting uh, mm. i don't think it is as guaranteed as we would have thought at the start or oh, sheffield united definitely are going down yeah, finish. Yo, that gotcha. is, yeah that's the guarantee but burnley luton i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. One of them could survive. More so Luton. I think Luton have a fighter's chance, especially with the Everton deduction of points. It kind of keeps him in the race. I feel like Burnley, the problem with them is that their trajectory, unfortunately for them, looks like it's going down, if not maybe stagnating. I feel like Luton are actually getting better and better with each game. Mm. So it could be a thing mm. where by the running, they might hit their peak and then actually might give it a good go. And I would, I would like them to have another season. I think I really like their story. I think they've been better each game that's gone by. Yeah, I mean, ha- their games have been entertaining to watch. And you're right, like, some of their players have been showing out. Um, there's about four, I'd say, now that, that are showing out. Barkley, obviously, being the star in midfield. Yeah. Um, but there's that Alfie Doughty guy. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, the left he's obviously... yeah, yeah he, he's good, for sure. Um, so, yeah, let's see what happens. All right, let's discuss Liverpool, man. Uh, what are we, 21 games in? 20 games in? 20 games in. Top of the table. Did either of you expect to be there? No, <laughs> no, yeah, no, not top. All right, so if I would have told you, um, game week one after Chelsea and we drew 1 1, that don't worry, guys, it's, it's going to be all good. Um, I guarantee you, when we get to New Year's Day, we'll be top of the table ahead of Arsenal, Man City, and the rest of them. You probably would have laughed at me, right? Maybe a tiny bit. <laughs> I don't know if I would have laughed at you. Why well, I would have been. I'd it would be have been confused as to why that would have happened, but I mean, 
I thought we'd be up there at the very least, but I, thought, I was thinking more of a second, maybe a nice hope. But to be fair, yeah, City usually hit their stride about, about this time, so I would have maybe thought different. But yeah, we done well to be up there. So, Manny, what were you like? What was your expectation at the start of the season? It was just—I know you wanted top four. I know you realized that you know it was like a—it—it it, it was phase two of Klopp's um, eleven, Klopp's new team, and all that stuff. It's going to take a while, but there's having hope. But what were you expecting? Okay, I would say that I was still genuinely expecting us to finish in, at the very least, the top three. And I said that we had realistic expectations of finishing second, which obviously at this time now, obviously you're totally thinking that's weird. But at the start of the season, obviously we were in the land of the unknown with the new team, new players, old players leaving. So I thought that we did have a really good window and that we could definitely realistically go for second because I did anticipate the drop off of Arsenal. I think I've got that on record. So I, I, I had a feeling that Arsenal wouldn't be as good as last season and I don't think they have been. So I thought that there's an opportunity to kind of sneak on top of them there. Pause. And then in terms of in in terms of like how that's kind of related to how it's transpired, I think it's it's been a bit weird, you know. I I, I can't say I've expected how we've gone about this season. Like some of the results we've got have been quite special. Um, some of the results that we've got as well have been quite weird. For example, the United result, that's just I don't know how on a run we're like when we have a result like that, um, Brighton away, for example. So there still hasn't been plain sailing, even though we're top. But I think what I've learned in this half a season is that these guys do have something special kind of building there. Like it doesn't seem like any old team that Klopp's managed. So uh, that's nice to see that as something building. I'm sure like we can end the season with at least a trophy and see what we do in the league. So... What would you put our current position down to? Would it be more? Would it be more on us um, and our quality that we're top, or would it be other reasons in the league? As in, like two two reasons I can give is number one, the other teams have just been crap, or number two, it's been so competitive, everyone's been taking points off each other. So, would you say yeah. it's more on us, or is it more because it's competitive and we've just kind of snuck along? I think it's a bit of it's a bit of it's a bit of everything kind of it makes a different factors but I think the biggest factor is that we've got our act together essentially because I feel like we're always big players in this league when we have our act together and everything's going on song and and Klopp's kind of got his mojo and he's got the players that are actually able to do what he wants from the team um we've kind of only seen two big examples of where his team's been depleted or where he's had to face with like real real adversity or injuries for example and that's the covid season uh and also obviously last season and after both seasons it's looking like he's done really well to to bounce back so in terms of how Klopp set us up i think he's obviously re-energized the midfield he's got legs in there and he's also got a bit more versatility in there in terms of profiles a few more players that can keep the ball more players that can score from midfield uh, and he's really revamped that position and I think that was all glaring to us that that was going to be needed if we wanted to even just improve straight off the bat from last season uh, also joint on top of that you've got the big the big dogs have come back people like Verge Allison are there at the top of their game. Um, even, I mean, Van Dijk in our interview recently, he says that even he feels like he's back to his best. Like he feels like a clear difference between where he was last season to what he was post-injury, um, pre-injury, sorry. So um, I feel like 
with all of these things coming together, uh, it just means we've got a really strong foundation, a really strong base. Uh, and that's always the key for title-challenging clock teams, you know? So um, midfield's in check, um, defence is in check, Salah's still uh, kind of carrying the attack. But yeah, we've even got another level to go because I don't think the attackers have really even found, or well, Jota as well, can't actually miss him out. Big respect to Jota. Um, but Jota and Salah have had fantastic seasons. I think there's still even more to come from Nunes, Diaz, Gakpo. Um, so yeah, if those guys can go another level, then may and I say we could be in an even better position, even though we're like, what is it, five points clear or whatever it is. Um is it five now? I know it's it's City one, now. isn't it? So it could be two yeah, or it's two now. But yeah, even that we could we could be a lot better than uh, if the uh, more people start coming to the party as well. Interesting. Chris, how about you? Were you feeling like again, you wanted top four, that's what we all wanted. But mm-hmm. what were you actually expecting based off what you saw in that squad and, and what clock built and the players that we missed out on and looking at our opposition and looking at how Arsenal strengthened, at how City have replaced Mares and Gundogan. You can you can argue and say they haven't actually replaced them. But yeah, what were you thinking for us? A title charge wasn't on the cards in any capacity, really. I thought the other two were kind of quite quite clear just in how they ended last season. And it would have been foolish to kind of think we'd be in that conversation, you know, in, in any kind of strong regard from just the, the amount of work and foundational stuff we had to do across the summer. I mean, completely refitting a new midfield. It's a task in itself, getting all these, you know, and, um, and we say it quite a lot, you know, a job, you know, the positional value and the job you have to do in a Jurgen Klopp midfield. I think it's one of the most underheralded things in actual football. It takes a lot of discipline. I think it's something Ryan Gravenberg is learning right now. It takes a lot of discipline um, and it is you need to be switched on for the entire 90 minutes or the duration that you're on the pitch to kind of do that job. So that's not a false, uh, you know, a uh, you know, small feat in itself. I had real concerns about the defence because I thought this was going to be a bit of a 17-18 season where it's, okay, we'll score four and you maybe score two or three. And we've had a few of those games this season. Obviously, Fulham comes to mind um, as, as, as the big one. But no, I think... The big thing about this season for me has been the squad harmony has been so good. I think you've seen buy-in from every single person, um, no matter how long they've been in the club. The, the new fellas have really stepped up. And some of them, uh, he's been in peaks and troughs. I mean, Sabaz Lai started the season like a house on fire. He's regressed a little bit now, and I think that's just due, due to a, a fatigue issue. Um, again, kind of coming back to the defence. It was a little bit wobbly to start the season. You know, obviously Virgil getting sent off and we're playing lots of games with 10 men and, you know, we were kind of shipping in the odd one and there was a lot of 3-1 scorelines. But I think we've seen as the season's grown, that defence has been incredibly good. Players have really stepped up and have come to the come to the show. How many concerns we had about Shimakas when Robertson got injured and we didn't actually notice a drop-off. That's a massive testament to him. Joe Gomez actually yeah. playing three different positions <laughs> this season. An insane testament to him. I mean, we talked about him a lot. Um, I think it was on last week's pod, just, you know, his versatility and how inter- integral he's been for this season. Virgil getting back to his, his old self and Kante kind of taking another leap in his development. And obviously the emergence of Quanta, Allison just being Allison. But I think the big thing about this season is that players have hit form at the right time for us. Mm-hmm. So Salah's been consistent throughout the season. Diaz has had a, a few drops. But I think he's come to the party when he's needed to. Even Darwin, you know, it's, it's it's one in twelve. But in the situations he's needed to step up, he's, he's secured points for us. Um, 
and uh, it, it feels like Jota's going to be the main man now for the next month or so. He's come back from that injury. Normally he starts it off a little bit slow, but he's come back. He's like a house on fire. He's bagging. He's looking sharp. And he's looking. He's looking collective. But I think I feel like you got to give all credit to, to Klopp, man. I mean, him and Linders, they did the job last season. So I, I feel like you can say the second half of last season when they came back from probably from March onwards, when they adjusted the system, when they tweaked everything. That was your transitional period. That was when you kind of wrung all the rights from how bad it was. You make your evaluation and what you need to do and what you need to get in. And we're seeing the, the rewards being reaped for this season. How, and again, the manager and his coaching, coaching staff, how good they've been in in-game situations this season has won us more points than any of the players. Facts. Yeah, facts. Yeah, true say. It's crazy, man. Like Elliot being what, the, the first sub, essentially kind of doing that Milner role. Just the way we've been able to tweak things, little bits and bobs. You know, we've looked we've looked bad in some matches at half time, and then we come back for the second half and we're a completely different unit. So the title charge wasn't on the, 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 the cards at all. I mean, we joke about it and we say we're just a humble team in a top four push, you know what I mean? And that's still true. That's the <laughs> end of this season, is to get a Champions League finish. But my expectation was always to kind of have look, I always thought we were the we were the third best team in the country. Newcastle didn't really think much of it. Our new Champions League was kind of going to hurt them. I think it was, you know, their, their season was going to be as bad as it was, and and it looks like it's going to be. Uh, Chelsea, you can throw all the money up the wall, but if you don't have a sound foundation, it means nothing, and we're seeing that now. The only two I was really worried about um, were Arsenal and City, and the, the City have been in a weird position, but you know, with that cyborg, the Winter Soldier coming back, all better off at this point, and Arsenal are still still trying to kind of find themselves. But ultimately, I just wanted third place and just to win the Europa League. Because that would have been the definition of a successful season for me. Yeah, no, fair, fair. I, I think um, you broke it down quite well. And it just got me thinking. With, it, and it's based off what you said about the players hitting form at the right time. Because like, usually what happens is one will hit, when we're having like a patchy season, one will hit form, but the mm-hmm. others will be struggling and that one will carry them through. Uh, but yeah. this season, a lot of them have hit form at a similar time. And that's kind of helped us um, get to where we're at but if you both and, and I'll come to Manny first if you had to decide our top three players based off performance this season what would be the three from three to one from three to one okay very interesting yeah. I would say it's, it's interesting so overall performance level this season so I would go third I would say Allison, actually, no, do you know what? No, I'm not going to say Allison, I'm going to go rogue. I'm going to say Curtis Jones because I feel like third, third Curtis Jones because I feel like there's now a point where I just can't imagine our midfield without him. And I feel like, even though I don't necessarily think maybe if everyone's at their peak that he's in the starting 11, I just feel like there is a difference, a real difference this season when Curtis Jones is in the midfield to when he's not in it. So and his consistency in that position in terms of off the ball and and his press resistance in terms of getting on the ball in in uncomfortable situations, yeah, I just I just love what he's bringing to our team. So even just for the pure like development and improved player factor, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put Jones third. I think second I need to put Mo Salah because I think that he's obviously carried the attack essentially. Obviously everyone's really chipped in at different stages, but. 
Salah's responsible for what is it over fifty percent of our goals in the Premier League. So I think that, that <laughs> that's that's insane, yeah. man. Yeah, that's what I need. That's what I need to say on that one. That's a pretty much a carry job. You know, we're gonna have to do a, a, a big, big group effort to to fill that void when he's gone. Um, but even after all of that, I still wouldn't put him in the top. I think the top performing player for Liverpool this season is is Virgil Van Dijk, and I, I do honestly think his form is the difference between a team that challenges for titles and a team that's scraping top four, just about getting top four. And the guy's just, as I say, back to his best. He's had a few duels, a few sprints in behind against some real pacey forwards. I think of Alanga was one of them, took him down the line, and Buemo, um, really fast plays. And he's he's catching up with these guys, giving them a yard and still catching up with these guys now. He's he's imperious. He's winning every aerial duel like he used to. Um, he's he's even being more aggressive. So he's almost like he's, he's trying to be an even better version of what he was before. So, yeah, I think when a player like that returns to his best, you're obviously going to be challenging near the top of the table, you know. Like we didn't really know what we were going to get from Van Dijk, if we're being honest, you know. Like, obviously, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but last season was very disappointing from him, and he needed to step up, especially with the armband. But I think giving him the armband was a was a masterstroke, and I think he took it upon himself to really up his urgency and kind of take a leadership role in the team a bit more than what he had before. Uh, and I think that's only been a positive for us, and that's why we are where we are. And I think he's a the most important reason for that, to be honest. Fair, fair. Um, I'll give you my thoughts at the end. Chris, how about you? I say the, the Jones inclusion one's got me thinking, you know, because Manny's spot on. Whenever he plays on that left-hand side, that whole side of the pitch is just enabled. It just flows. Diaz. It flows so much better. It's crazy, man. Diaz plays a lot better. The left-back plays a lot better. It's, it just functions so much more. Um Part of me was kind of thinking putting Endo in this, you know, just kind of how he ended, how he ended um, everything before obviously he went away with Japan. But um, I mean, I'm going to go Trent Third. Just the playmaking ability and what he's been able to do this season has been nothing short of fantastic, really. Um, he's been the conductor. Everything's been coming together. Quietly scored some big goals as well. So he's, you know, in addition to everything else, he's adding that to his game. And he just looks so much more of a confident footballer in every single thing that he does. His defending has actually gone on under the radar because there's been so many instances this season of uh, his peers making errors um, that have gone under the radar. With if it were him, it would have been plastered all over the all over your TV screen. So you know, I have to give him some massive shout out. Um, I have to go Salah second. Manny hit the nail on the head. Like, he scored fifty percent of Liverpool's goals again, big goals as well, and he's been. He's, I think he's really relished and taken up the position of one of the kind of like leaders in the clubhouse. Uh, you know, in addition to Trent, in addition to Virgil, he's really stepped up. It feels like he's do, he's doing a lot in, in all competitions as well. I mean, you know, he, he could have been well well within his right to, but we know he's a sick person, so he, he could have been well within his right to kind of go, I'm not playing Europa League group games. Call me when it's, you know, gets to the round of 16, then I'll be up for it. He's been present in every single thing and it, it just looks like he's... He, he's, he's just so, so much more present with everything. You know, he's hearing Harvey Elliott talk about how he's kind of like took up a bit of a mental role with him and stuff like that. Shouldn't go under the radar, but on the pitch, he's just been nothing short of sensational. Um, it's really difficult to leave Alisson out of this when you think of some yeah. of the you know, big saves he's done, but yeah, I guess it just speaks to how, how well everyone's been playing. And, you know, like Manny, I'm going to go Virgil, number one. Um, you know, there were the instances last season where he, he was looking a bit rough. I, mean, I think, you know, and even he's admitted to that, which, you know, I think when you can have that self-reflection and, you know, have that analysation of how you perform and how you need to step it back up, he's been nothing short of just 
monstrous man. Uh, every single game, week in, week out, he's back to his best and he's back to the old Virgil van Dijk that we know and love. And, you know, hopefully the club reward him with a new contract post-haste. Yes. Fair, fair. I think, um, yeah, I I agree with the names being mentioned for sure. My, my ranking would be a little bit different. Uh, even though I'm a huge Curtis Jones fanboy and I've been kind of pushing this Curtis Jones prop, I wouldn't have put him in my top three purely because he's not had the minutes. Mm. Now, obviously, you can agree that when he has played, obviously, he's been very important and we've looked much better. Agreed, 100%. But hes I don't even think he's had 10 starts in the Premier League yet um, because of the, the ban and the injury and the stuff. Injury, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that's the only reason I'm leaving him out. How I would have done it is I actually would have had Salah third. Um, obviously, Salah, you can't dispute the assists and, and the goals that he scored. Um, but yeah, I think two other players have probably been more crucial to us being where we are than he has. And that's not to downplay what he's done because he's obviously done fantastic. But I think Trent and Virgil's form and their performances are the reason why we are where we are. So second, I would have put Trent. Um, Trent has been hero balling for the past like seven weeks. And like yeah, the performances that he's actually put in have been unbelievable. And rightly... He got the PFA um, Player of the Month for December because he mm. was just unreal that December. He was so, so good. Like the Fulham game when he saved us, obviously early November, no, mid-November, the Man City game where he saved us. Um, <laughs> we've we've looked to him to, to kind of um, pull us through and he has. And, he, and he's taken us from third to top um, thanks to some of the performances he's put in. I just think he's been so good. And I have a feeling that obviously... I know people always go like, oh, this leadership stuff is so overstated sometimes, but I do feel like giving him that responsibility has helped him massively. And it's probably given him an extra ounce of desire to do more for the team, right? He's more responsible. He's more mature. He like, obviously he has acts of petulance like um, versus Newcastle when he kicks the ball away or throws the ball away or whatever he does. But in general, like you can just see he's more of a man now. Like he's leading the team. He's telling sure. them what to do, directing them. But previously he wasn't doing that. He was being barked at um, yeah. by you know who, who isn't there anymore. Um <laughs> trying to come back. But yeah. <laughs> boy, he, he, all I know is he sent Klopp a text, boy. Klopp, Klopp even admitted he received a text from Hendo. He, he did admit that. He said it. He said he was like, Yeah, I spoke to Hendo the other day, but we didn't discuss this. Uh, but I have not. a feeling, bro. I, you, know, you know, you know when you do the "Hey, big head, how you doing?" I, I have a feeling. I have a feeling. The head no text club was like, "Yo, I know that Andrew's gone like Asia Cup and that." Like, what are you saying? That's Thiago, yeah. yeah. Thiago no back, yeah. Badgetich growth spurt issues, yeah. What are you saying? Club had to reply with, the, "Who's this?" Yeah, oh, Thiago's oh, oh, still injured. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. oh, yeah. oh, oh, he's still injured. Yeah, oh, I'm. I'm good. Uh, you've seen how fit I am right now, playing in Saudi. But yeah, I, I, I digress. Um, obviously Trent, <laughs> he's not being barked at anymore. I think the only person that tells him off is Virgil, and rightly so. There are lapses of concentration, but in general, without Trent in the team, we look way less creative. We look. Yeah, true. Um, less fluid and he's just been fantastic and obviously he's injured right now so hopefully this Bournemouth game is, is okay on Sunday and we'll discuss that further shortly um, and then first I have to put Virgil man um, he's just been so good it's like unbelievable obviously he's had a couple of brain fart moments but 
he has that every season. Even in yeah. his season where he finished second in the Ballon d'Or, he had a couple of brain farts. It's quite normal for a centre-back to do that. And I think his brain farts weren't actually brain farts. Like the Isaac red card, I still think it was harsh. I yeah. don't think it was a red card, yeah. um, to be honest. Um, and then, yeah, obviously against Fulham the other day in the League Cup, the, the header backwards, well, he, he misjudged that um, versus Jimenez. But again... It does seem to happen sometimes. Um, yeah. But other than that, he's just been fantastic, man. Like, he's blocking every cross, um, stepping in when he needs to, ground duels, he's winning them. His his stats look unbelievable this season. The, the amount of tackles he's made, the amount of blocks he's made, the amount of aerial headers he's won, leading from the back, he's been unreal. Like, so good. And again, him being captain, I think it's given him that extra boost like you know what like this is my club this is my team this is how I want to run stuff moving forward um and it's going to be interesting to see what happens between now and the summer because obviously Virgil's got a year left on his contract Trent's coming up to a year left on his contract Salah's got a year left on his contract um Curtis has four years left on his contract but Curtis doesn't get paid a lot so I think Curtis is going to be wanting a a a nice little pay rise Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what the club club does, man. I, I would guess, obviously, Virgil, Trent shouldn't be an issue. Um, Curtis shouldn't be an issue. It's just going to be probably the Salah one to work out what we do with him. But, do, you, yeah. do you guys think what's going on in the Saudi stuff at the moment kind of plays into our advantage? Oh, yeah. Like, if, if you want to keep Salah, then I, I definitely think what's happening now does... Because it's not growing at the rate we all expected it to in terms of popularity and its and its stature. And obviously Salah's got the decision to make, what is it, end of next season? So I just kind of doubt in that time he's going to want to give up the prestige of maybe winning another Champions League or competing in the Champions League or just European football altogether. And I feel like we all assume that Salah will go kind of more for the money and the stature he would have out there. But... Yeah, Salah, that guy, he's got that he's got that elite mentality. I think he just wants to be performing in the league that everyone cares about and everyone's watching. I don't think he really cares too much about the the bag per se. So, yeah, I think... I actually reckon he'll sign an extension, if you're asking me what I think will happen. Yeah, if I had to take a guess, I would say he signs a one-year extension mm. and the club push for the one-year extension because it means he can have another season with the club and then he's got a year left on his contract that a club can buy out from Saudi, yeah. right? Yeah. Exactly. And I I think that's probably the best play. I think if obviously the Saudi league was growing at the level that they were pushing for it to grow in the summer, then it probably would have been a lot more obvious that, yeah, okay, cool, Salah's going in the summer. But the mm. fact that the Saudi league, obviously, other than Cristiano, Mane, Mares, and... Boy, I can't even think who else is doing well out there. But those three in particular, they're doing well. The rest of them really are struggling and they're not enjoying themselves. Yeah, so, I gotta say it's because they're not playing at the at the real big clubs like Al Nasir, Al Hilal. These are kind of the biggest clubs in Saudi, attracting big crowds. Uh, but from reading about it, it looks like your Al Atifax and and some of those other clubs, they're not really getting big crowds. It's like seven k, nine k attendances which is like similar to like league two level teams bro that's max that's max what they're getting that's not that's even max. an average that's <laughs> see that's crazy so that's like what they call a good crowd and then you're going from playing premier league european football atmosphere to this kind of 
atmosphere that you're still trying to grow and you're still trying to build it up and yeah man like i'm, I'm not surprised that they're not really enjoying it out there in that regard i, I did think it was going to be a, a big ass to just get all these people to have the same amount of interest in in all these clubs especially the people that went to lyt fact because they're not even part of the richest clubs out there i think there's pretty much a mid-table club out there so it's a big risk from these guys but you see already a couple of them trying to come back yeah totally and i think um yeah, it's it's. Int- I'm gonna be. I'm really intrigued as to what's gonna happen with that league this summer because, based off what I've heard, in like in terms of like other podcasts and analysis on it, they're suggesting that what will happen is obviously the players that want to go go, and then Saudi just gonna get the next bunch of people in. But I I just feel like Salah wouldn't go right now because because of the way he's purring in the league in the Premier League again. Right, because of the the upwards trajectory that the club is currently at, he would probably be thinking we could probably win the Champions League next season. Soon, yeah, it's yeah, worthwhile me staying one more season. And I think the club are thinking, obviously, we want to protect your value. And Mo, you're you're in such good condition, pause that you'll be able to play for another five years. Like honestly, you do not need to make this decision right now. Just play top level football and go there later on. Like it's really not that deep. Yeah, he could easily play Saudi football at what 30, 36. You're telling me, like, he could. How old is he now? 33? Is it 33 now, Salah? He's 32, 33. So, yeah. 30, so, yeah, if he, let's say, another few years and he goes, goes to the Saudi League at 36 and he played there for even just two to three, maybe even four years, who knows? I feel like that's still a career fulfilled. And I feel like that's him getting the very most out of his time here at England. So, I think that's a, that's a good shot. When are, um, when are Saudi Jews post the World Cup? That's 2030. 2030. Yeah, after the American one, isn't it? Go in 20. Go, you can go in 2028. It'll only be like 38 then. Yeah, yeah I mean, he yeah. could, based off how Cristiano Ronaldo is still playing football, right? Most mm-hmm. Salah is in similar condition. He looks after yeah. himself in a similar way. For sure. I'm pretty certain he'll be able to play the Saudi League at the age of 38, 39. <laughs> yeah, but um, I don't think it should be that much of an issue. But yeah. Cool. I think I think that was interesting. So I guess all of us have Virgil as um the 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 best performing player. Um listeners will be interesting to see and read what you think. So yeah, comment on the um tweet and let us know who you would rank as your top three. I'll probably pose the question tomorrow and then we can see um what you guys think. But yeah, we went with pretty much um well Manny went with Curtis, Salah, Salah and Virgil. Um, Chris went with Trent, Salah, Virgil, and then I went with Salah, Trent, Virgil. Um, yeah, Bournemouth guys, Sunday, four thirty p.m. All eyes on me slot. <laughs> Boy, Brilliant. no Trent, no Salah, no Endo, no Matip, no Robertson, no Shimikas, no Sobosly. Mm. Oh yeah, and it's obviously how, yeah. How are we feeling about the game, Manny? You go first. Oh, it's strange because we haven't played in so long, you know. So it's uh, it's a weird one, but I feel quietly confident, but still wary. I'm still wary. I think I respect I respect Bournemouth a lot. I feel like just like I was saying about Luton earlier, I think they're a team that have just got better and better as every game's gone by, as they've kind of adjusted to their new manager's style and tactics. And I feel like they're now hit a point where. You're looking into that the three month, four month stage of the season, and I feel like they've really kind of got understood what their manager wants and they're performing it to a T. 
So they're a dangerous outfit for any side they face at the moment, especially at the vitality where they um, where they play. So I think we definitely need to be wary of their threat. And yeah, they've got some players that are in really, really good form. Solanke, who obviously used to play for us. Obviously, I'm quite happy for him seeing what he's gone on and done since leaving Liverpool, especially as he was much quite a bit at the start. I think he's finally found his feet. Uh, and he's going to be a player to be wary of for sure on Sunday. But I think we should hopefully have enough altogether. Um, I think it's really, really important that we've got McAllister back as Endo was leaving because I think he's going to be needed in the sixth position. And I actually think he played really well in against um, Fulham um, in a game where not everyone played their best. I think he did well in the sixth role, made some good tackles. So, yeah, I think that's going to be important for balance of the midfield. Uh, and then with the attack, having Salah away, obviously that's going to be the big point for us. But we've got pretty much all the other attackers available and fit. So, yeah, they're going to have to really step up between them. Um, the beauty of our attack at the moment is that it feels like no matter who's out of form, there is at least one of these guys that is in form or, or ready to bag at any given moment. So that's a really, really good positive position that we're in and, and other clubs, I'm sure, really envy. So um, we definitely need to use that to our advantage. Um, I'm sure we, we might talk about who we might start later on. But, yes, open to give any of those attackers a chance. Nunes... Gakpo, Diaz, Jota. I think Jota is the only certainty I would have in the starting lineup. But besides that, I'm I'm, I'm happy for all to be given a go, and obviously, you guys will come off the bench as well. Okay, cool. So let's go through it. Um, based off, based off Trent being injured and and just the injury concerns that we have, what would the backline be? Chris, you go first. Uh, it's all about the right back spot, isn't it? Really. Um, mm. You could play. There's no argument to say you could just play Gomez there. Um, is Robbo back at all or no? No, he's training, but he's he's not ready to play yet. Yeah, I don't think it's team training yet. No. Um, well, you, you're gonna have to gamble and just you're gonna have to play Gomez at left back. Uh, Virgil Canate that picks itself, and you just have to say you have to give it to Connor Bradley. I mean, Bradley yeah, yeah, the way he held himself to very high account against Fulham. That's a good sign because they've got very good, you know, pacey wingers that he was going up against too. So that does fill you with hope. But um, I don't, it, it's, I don't know. It's something about this fixture, obviously, at the back of last season, wasn't particularly fruitful. Yeah. Uh, for a but I just remember, obviously, we played them in the League Cup a few months yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that, that game where it had the really weird high wind or something, if I remember correctly, and we had to like yeah. wait for the plane back home. So, we played a, a similar rotated lineup um, against uh, against Bournemouth in that game. So we had Kelleher, Shimakas was at left back, Quanta, Matip, Gomez, Jones, Endo, Elliott, midfield, and then Sabozlai, Gakpo, Salah up front. So it was a bit of a mishmash team. Obviously, we won 2 yeah. 1, and they played somewhat of a, of a strong team. Solanke, mm-hmm. Solanke played, Ali Scott played, Philip Billing played, Memphum, um, Kirkes. So, I mean, the learnings from that game, you'd hope, would obviously uh, push us to you know a win. But they're in just really, they're in really good form at the moment. Um, Very. So it's going to be a difficult one. Yeah. Okay. So, so we are saying Connor Bradley. Then we do think. Yeah. Connor Bradley no. will I like. I, I like Bradley. I feel like um, 
what I like about Bradley is that because of his loan from Bolton, I feel like he just got a bit of that like just lower league English football dog in him. Do you know what I mean? Like he just seems mm-hmm. like he's 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 up for like that kind of scrap. He's just a traditional right back, you know, like an up and down traditional right back. So I feel like because of that experience in the champion um, in the I think it was League One, I think League One he was in or League Two. Mm-hmm. Um, that experience, you know, I think he's got a bit of that just like lower league fight in him, uh, and he's used to kind of being taken on by by wingers and getting up the field himself. So. But what Klopp dropped Alexander Arnold in OT for his debut, wasn't it? In the Premier League, was Old Trafford's yep. debut? He just dropped yep. him in on, a, on an injury thing. So I think he's he's brave enough to drop Bradley in against Bournemouth away if he thinks he's good enough. And he seems highly rated and he's shown so far why he's highly rated, I guess. So yeah, I don't have any problem with him dropping in. Yeah, and, and he'll probably be facing Tavernier or Sinistiera. Um, they're they're yeah, the two yeah. that Bournemouth usually play on the left wing. So um, I didn't play quite well. Yeah, yeah, so, so I, I think it'll be an interesting battle. Mm-hmm. Centre-back then, if you're going to play Conor Bradley, you have to play Kanate next to him, right? Right, yep, yeah, for sure. has to be. The, the, you can't you can't do Kwanzaa and Bradley. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's, you've got to respect Bournemouth. They're going to be very, like like you just mentioned, Sinistera and or um, Tavernier, very quick, direct players that will attack. So to be honest, Kanate is probably going to, do the majority of the defending kind of covering space because uh, Bradley is going to go forward. You know, he's an attacking fullback. So can I, uh, this season, actually, his, the work he's done in that right channel has been incredible. Honestly, to give him a big shout out because we didn't get to mention him earlier in the top three because he hasn't been, quite been that because of injuries. But that work that he does in that right channel, I think he's really coming of age. Kanate, I feel like if he carries on the way he's going and just touch wood, God's grace, keep him fit. Um, he's going to be a huge player for us in any potential title running. So, yeah, he's going to be doing a lot of work and, and hopefully he can hold up to it. Yeah, I think with Kanate, man, none of us doubt his talent. We think he's yeah. like, it's clear as day how good he is as a defender. I think like, it's just the injuries, man. He just, That's it, man. It, it's just the injuries. But I do think Klopp is being a lot more mindful this season with uh, Kanate. He doesn't start mm-hmm. him every game. Yeah, He yeah. does rest him quite a bit. So it's like he's picking and choosing when to play him. And it's worked to our advantage so far. And hopefully it continues that way. So I'm guessing, obviously, Virgil and Gomez at left back. Right. Yeah, so agree. cool. So backline is sorted. Um, Allison in goal, uh, Connor Bradley, uh, Ibu, Virgil, and Gomez. Um, we might start doing like a Joe Gomez bingo when he's actually going to score a goal because I, <laughs> I feel that it is definitely going to be the season. Just need to work out which game. <laughs> shots are increasing uh, week on week. I mean, Fam, he, he's lashing it harder and harder every single game, man. That two, three shots a game, man, it's crazy. I've never seen this before. Never any other season do you go and try and as many shots a game. You know it's what crazy. the game might be? The FA Cup game on the twenty eighth. It might be that. You think? Yeah. It's a good I'm opportunity. Yeah, it's, you're right. It, yeah, it's a good opportunity. You know what's funny though. I have more confidence watching Gomez take a shot than I do Andy Robertson. Yeah. And it's yeah. mad because Gomez has actually never scored. But for some reason, I feel more at ease watching Gomez shoot than Andy Robertson. I just hate the way Robertson approaches when he takes a shot um, outside of the box. Oh, facts. Uh, but yeah, okay, cool. Midfield. What are we going to do with the midfield? So Soberslai is still 50-50. I doubt they're going to rush him back. Yeah. Endo's away. Um, who else is there? We've got All that's left is McAllister, Curtis, Harvey, Elliot. and then Gatlin. 
and Graven Birch, of course. How could I forget? Yeah, um, I, mean, it's, I would have probably forgotten oh, as well. We've, to be been, we've been so blessed with some of his cameos recently. How could I forget <laughs> that one? Um, so, so I, I, you know what's funny though? I have a feeling Klopp's going to start Graven Birch. Yeah, in I'm this game, Jesus. I don't know. It's 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 a it's a tough one with Gavin Birch because I, I'm honestly I, I I'm happy to give him all the time he needs to develop into this league. It's it's not easy. Uh, I know everyone's going to hit the ground running straight away. So no, not doubting his future here. But at this moment in time, I feel like he, he he just doesn't quite. I don't think he quite gets it at the moment. Just how how sharp you need to be in the mind how quick you need to react in the press i feel like he's just a bit too delayed to do everything he's playing in slow motion at the moment like i, think, I remember somebody some uh, i see people say that he plays like he's smoking loud or something like he's and i, I see it it's, you know I mean? <laughs> he actually does like, i really see him i plays in slow motion so i don't know if um bournemouth is way is the right game for him but i guess you do need to kind of be blooding him in somehow because yeah, he does needs to get up to the speed of things. He's got so much talent, man. It's a shame that it's the off the field stuff that's kind of holding him back, right? You know, off the off the field, off the ball stuff that's kind of holding him back right now in terms of being a consistent starter in the team. Um, but yeah, I would probably rather still go Jones and Elliot in a game like this. Personally, I'd probably go those two with McAllister. Yeah, I think I think with Grav, right? I would I don't mind you making mistakes or slopping passes as long as you try and chase back and win that ball. In there, My yes. guy does not want to chase back. He will just stand there and watch. It's like, <sighs> are you insane? Like, who are you, bro? Like, you need to fight for your it. place in this team. Why are you not running? What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Like, has the penny just not dropped? Like, I don't know what it is. Like, they, he will lose the ball, and then like you'll see he's frustrated at himself. Like, oh, I lost the ball. Like, we have a little salt, and all this time, like, we're getting counted on. And I'm thinking, like, bro, like, surely your first reaction is to to chase down that ball. That's what they're hammering into. But that's what I mean. In terms of him developing, I think it's just a case of he's gonna have to go through the Fabinho boot camp. You know, I think he's just gonna have to just be in the in the lab just working on it because it's a mentality thing you know it needs to be his first yeah. reaction right now he's yeah. trying to consciously think of pressing it's not natural for him so i think he, he can't really be starting games or important games anyway um for the time being you know maybe we'll see him start more games in the summer who knows but um i think in the safe side players like elliot players like jones these guys play with so much urgency they play like their life depends on it each and every second especially elliot that guy runs like like it's his last ever chance to play for liverpool so I think that's the kind of urgency you're going to need to carry us through this period without Endo, without Salah. You just need the guys to work like dogs. So I think that's more likely to come from Elliot and Jones and McAllister. These guys work great. You can't question nothing. Okay, Chris, so are you going with the same midfield then? Are you going with Matt 10, um, Curtis and Elliot? I feel like he's going to start grabbing Birchard. I do. I, I feel like he's. It's going. To be, I think they're going to think that Philip Billing may start and they may yeah. do grabbing Birchard. Yeah. Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ, yeah. That's going to be a nasty... That's going to be like the great Carly versus Andre the Giant, man. Some of the worst <laughs> oh. you've ever seen. You're like, that's the type of battle that's going to be on the pit. Oh, for real, bro. You're going to see Elliot coming through like Rey Mysterio against flipping Undertaker, <laughs> man. Like... Yeah, just watch. Just watch. I can feel it already, man. Yeah, you're going to say try to pass him off the pitch, but I'm going to say they've got good technical security on midfield, but yeah, actually, you've just reminded me the physical... Mismatch mm. between a billing and what awesome midfield is is crazy. You might have to combat that somehow, but even with Gravenberch, man, I feel like just the way he, he's a bit flimsy at the moment, man. He needs to, he needs to bulk up himself otherwise. Because at the moment, I don't even know who wins in a 50 50 between him and Elliot. Like, I don't even know who I'll bet on. 
Yeah, I mean that's a fair point. So, Chris, what are you thinking? Are you are you putting Grav in the three? Yeah. You seem so Isn't upset. <laughs> this this is him. I, I like the guy. It's just that's your boy. Listen, you, boy, you've man. wanted him. You've wanted him yeah. since Ajax days. I like. I fully remember. I, it's, it's it's going to take time. I think yeah. you, you always do as when you know when you're not playing full football for a year and, and stuff like that. And you know, like I alluded to earlier, it's a very thankless job in in a club midfield. So I think you know it's going to take him a while to nail it down. I think when he does, there's a crazy football player there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, from what I remember last season. Completely different manager and whatnot, but um, obviously it was when Lerma was still there. So it was Lerma and Billion, and they were just absolutely dunking on us. Um, but by that point, we had Tweel Dumb and you know Tweel Dickhead in the midfield. Oh, oh, yeah. So it could be a different proposition. Yeah, I mean, based off the past two Premier League games, um, it actually changes every game. So you literally don't know. It could be Ryan Christie, it could be Alex Scott, it could be Lewis Cook. Justin Clivert plays an attacking mid sometimes. Mm. So you literally don't know what lineup they're going to put out, um, which is interesting. So if we're putting... So obviously Manny's saying Elliot in midfield. Um, Chris, you're discarding that point. So for right wing, what are we saying then? Because obviously, to me, the natural right winger to replace Salah is actually Elliot. But yeah. Elliot may be used in midfield or he may be needed in midfield, seeing as bodies are light right now. So maybe you can't waste him at right wing when we've got four forwards. Yeah, I would think so. I feel like me personally, anyway, just kind of even besides that, I just prefer Elliot in midfield. I feel like just in terms of how much we've seen him in his position, I'm not a big fan of Elliot right wing, but I also do appreciate that he's going to be an option there. Um, I think, yeah, when you've got so many forwards that, can play across the front three. Um, you might be better utilising Elliot as a midfield option while that, while that's light and then kind of rotating the forwards between the three positions. Um, I think Diaz recently has looked a lot better playing on... Well, I say a lot better, but he's looked decent playing on the right. I think when he plays on the right, it kind of narrows down his options, which means that obviously his dreaded decision-making can't really get in the way because he only kind of has one decision to make, which is take on his man. Um, or, or pass. So I feel like that kind of helps him out a bit, especially with his finishing as well, because he doesn't need to do the cutting thing and then confuse himself. It seems like a bit more cross or shot. So I think that might should be tried out a bit more. Um, apart from that, I feel like the only other person that could play on the right, if at all, is, is Jota. I think apart from that, I don't really see any of the other guys suiting the right. I don't think Gakpo suits the right. I think Nunes, to be honest, should probably be a permanent left winger after recent showing um he looks just much more dangerous there and he it just seems like he's in his head it's just a bit more of a simple job for him in terms of what he needs to do on and off the ball so i might even say nunez left jota up top and diaz right wing would be my ideal scenario like we finished arsenal uh, and i think we actually did really good as we closed that game so yeah that would be my preferred front three i would say chris how about you I do I do Diaz off the right just because it's it's looked effective. I think it's yeah. kind of helped him a lot in, in in certain games. Now if that's a switch they want to make in game, I could see it. Completely agree with his point with um Nunez off the left. Um I think he's just more comfortable there. I'd I'd weirdly go Nunez Gakpo Diaz. Okay, the Gakpo. And I'd save I'd save Jota for the League Cup game. Hmm, I don't know, man. I, 
I would personally, the reason why I'd have Gakpo on the bench is because he could come in and play on the left. He can come in and play up front. He can play as a midfielder. So he kind of covers you for three positions as a bench option. Um, And also, if you have Jota, Diaz and Nunes up front, all three of them can switch positions, pause, during the game and there'd be no issues at all. Like, like yeah. Jota can come off the right sometimes. We've seen him do it, and we've done it famously against Arsenal in the League Cup. Um, yeah. Obviously, Nunes, we've seen him come off the right, we've seen him come off the left, we've seen him play up front. Diaz can do left or right as well. So that's the three I would go with. I just feel like that kind of game on a small pitch, you need Jota up front because he's yeah. the one that will be able to get an extra yard or find a little bit of space to cushion in a shot. Yeah. I don't trust the rest of them to do it. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think Jota is 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 really important this season. To be fair to him, he's when he gets a full run at him and he doesn't have too many injuries, like he's such a reliable source of goals. So yeah, this is is going to be really important. But I also do see the, the obviously the Gakpo, um, he's starting to improve. I think actually, you know, he didn't have the best start to the season. You know, he kind of really had to grow into it, but he's scoring a few more a few more goals, important goals as well. And he also brings the kind of be, I don't know if I'll say physicality because he still is a bit flimsy himself, but he still has a bit of height to him and he still kind of tries to put himself about it when it comes to on the field duels. So um, I think, yeah, something that I just, me personally, what I think is really important in this game is that whatever lineup we put out, we just need to be combative. We just need to be really, really combative and just be ready to fight and, and win these duels, win the second balls. Because I know that Bournemouth, that's what they're going to really thrive on, on their atmosphere and at home. And that's what their manager, Ariola, um, is is really big on. He's really big on kind of dominating them second balls and um, really, really energetic team. And their their team have loads of legs in the midfield with Alex Scott, for example. Um, he's a really good ball carrier. So, yeah, I just want to make sure that the team that we put out are all ready to to kind of just yeah, work like dogs, going to have the athleticism to match them uh, and, and yeah, put the chances away when we get them. I think that's just got to be the makeup of our team. Yeah, I don't think this is a quality on the ball kind of game. I think this is a fight for every tackle kind of game. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I really, I'm sure, I'm sure Klopp won't um, approach this game similar to last season after the United 7-0 where we famously lost <laughs> 1-0 to Bournemouth. Um, I'm sure he's going to He's going to ensure that, you know, th- these guys are up for it and he picks the right lineup. But yeah, I think my, my only question mark is around and Graven Birch. I have a feeling he may start and I don't want him to start. Um, in terms of threats for Bournemouth, obviously Dominic Solanke is the main one, right? He's the one that yep. can nick a goal from left or the right. Um, is there anyone else that you've seen that you've been impressed by that you think could cause us a problem at all? Yeah, yeah. I think Bournemouth have a few players that are really coming into form in, in recent weeks that we should definitely be um, keeping an eye on. I uh, just kind of alluded to him before. Alex Scott looks like he's really starting to find his own since since he signed. Uh, he's so we, really he good. was linked to us, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. and I thought, I, and I was really, I, I really thought we should have got him. I don't think I was um, on on pods at that time, but yeah, I was a big fan of him. He's a guy who always used to sign a football manager because he always had really good potential. But yeah, he's like an engine, box to box, really, really good feet, really great um, dribbler, uh, and yeah, bundles of energy really really strong so in terms of midfield like he's going to be somebody that you're going to need to keep a lid on because otherwise he's definitely a player that can break from midfield and cause us issues I think their wingers are, are really dangerous Tavernier is really good in terms of 
shooting from outside the box. Um, he, he takes on his wing, he takes on his fullback, Sinistera, equally very direct, takes on his fullback. Um, so yeah, Iriola's just kind of made Bournemouth just a really, really direct, really, really aggressive team on and off the ball. And it's actually really, it's, it's incredible what he's doing, to be fair, because even just kind of keeping a little eye on them during the season, um, atmosphere-wise, is they, they make it tough. They make it really tough. They try and pen you in. I remember when they played against Aston Villa, um, Aston Villa were completely and utterly dominated for the majority of that game. Like they were really fortunate to even leave with a draw in, in that game. So I think just the overall system of Bournemouth is something that we should definitely respect and be wary of. Like this game, for example, like it's a, it's a really big game. If we can win this game, I think that that is a we should definitely pat ourselves on the back and and it, and it kind of gives an indictment on how we're going to continue this run uh, because yeah, it's not an easy place to go anymore. Bournemouth, I would say so. It's actually a really really tough place. Yeah, no, agreed. Cool. I I mean, listen, I don't like doing this, but we have to ask the question, and we're going to be held to this to the answers that we give now. Right? <laughs> okay. Predictions for Sunday, Krish. I'll come to you first. Bournemouth, four thirty p.m. All eyes on me slot. Sky Sports main event HD four oh one eight five eight. Any other channel, I don't know what Virgin put for Sky. Um, <clears throat> what are you saying for this scoreline, man? I think we'll win 2 0. Okay, that's cool. I'm gonna say, uh, yeah, go, on. go on, Manny. As I, I was gonna say, I'm gonna say 2 1 with our prediction to Liverpool, obviously. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna go with 2 1. I, I, I can just see. I can I can see them scoring because Bournemouth are a well-oiled team. Um, they play good football. We struggle on small pitches, man. We always struggle on small pitches mm, for some. True. I don't know why, yeah. but we always seem to do so. Um, I think it's going to be scrappy, but yeah, I'm I'm obviously going to be positive and go with the two-one. I was just checking. They've lost some lost some of their bigger players to Afcon. You know, like Atara is gone. Semenyo, yeah. obviously, yeah. The, the big one. He's mm. gone. So yeah, fairly interesting. Yeah, it's interesting, but honestly, that if you check out um, Bournemouth's main eleven, there actually isn't one. He changes it up every single game. Like yeah, you have yeah. no idea who's going to start. So it's, um, I think he probably selects his lineup based on the strengths versus the the opposition. Um, yes. That's why I think Billing is going to start purely because of um, the lack of height in our midfield. I think they're going to want him to bully McAllister and potentially Elliot. Uh, so yeah, let's see what happens. Cool. Well, lads, it was good chatting to you. Um, listeners, thank you for joining us. We will be back on Sunday evening um, on patreon.com forward slash Coffin Fracker. I've said it about 10 times already. This is the 11th <laughs> time. Um, please subscribe if you haven't already. Otherwise, you will hear from us again on this feed next week. Same time, same place. Take it easy. Podcast Network.